Amen. All right, take out your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 73. 73rd Psalm. Psalm 73. It's been a little while since I've been here on a Wednesday night. I'm always next door. And so that, uh, I gotta get I gotta get used to the rhythm of things here, you know? Normally at this time we're playing some type of game, you know? So I gotta get in the spiritual mode now. <laughs> so pray the Lord for the Wednesday night youth group. We had a good summer. Um, so pray the Lord pray that the God will still work through the school year and I, um, boys and girls will come on Wednesday nights to hear the gospel to kinda get away from school and all the worldly influences to come together at least once a week. Uh, have a half hour we can fellowship together as, as Christians and also uh, preach the gospel. We talk about, you know, things that are relative to teenagers. Um, you know, we, we spent the summer talking about uh, the title of the series was Passing the Eye Test, talking about the fact of, you know, you may try to look to impress other people with how you conduct yourself and uh, what you wear, but how are you on the inside? What are you, what is your relationship with God? Are you passing the eye test with God? Because uh, we know that God looks on the inside and man looks on the outside. So we spent uh, time talking about that, and I pray the Lord touched our hearts with that. But can you pray for our young people, our teenagers, our kids, and um, that God will work in all of our ministries here? But we're going to the 73rd Psalm. I love this. I love all the Psalms. This title of this psalm is the Life Isn't Fair Psalm. This is talk this is a psalm of Asaph. Most times when we think of the Psalms, we what comes to mind is uh, this is a Psalm of David. David wrote Psalms, but David is not the author of this psalm. It should say in your Bibles a Psalm of Asaph right underneath Psalm seventy three. Let's go ahead and let's look at verse number one in your Bibles. Well, the Bible says, Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. So Asaph here is giving us a little bit of his heart, kind of sharing with us what's going on in his life. And honestly, sometimes it just seems that life just is not fair, that things are not going the way that they should for us. And so how is it that the wicked seem to get all the breaks? And the people who serve the Lord, they seem to have so many more heartaches and so many more problems. And this psalm is an encouragement to the Christian to answer that question to us. So that's my goal tonight is try to encourage you in this topic of being encouraged even though things may not be going the way we think it should go and we think others are being blessed more than we are. So sometimes we can just come to the fact that life isn't fair. Look at Psalm 73, verse number 1. We see here, I want to put this sermon into several different aspects. And first, the first thing we see here is the dilemma. The Bible says, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. 
But here he goes. He says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So Asaph is kind of giving you his heart and the background of where he's at currently in his life and that he was backsliding at this point. He was almost left the right path in his life, which is God, which is the word of God, uh, the things of God. Why? Because he became envious of the foolish and angry at the prosperity of the wicked. So nothing seemed to happen to him except for the fact that he wasn't being blessed more than what he thought those around him were being blessed. And that can be a problem with us, right? Is that we look at other people and what they have, and that we can become envious that we don't have more. That we were only given X amount of money, and these people were blessed with this amount of money. Where I work, I work in the town of Wachung, but where our main office is in, is in the town of Westfield. And if you know the town of Westfield, it is a beautiful town. It is filled with many, many beautiful homes, uh, very nice. Everybody has landscaping. Everybody's house is just beautiful. In fact, my boss was looking at houses today, and he, he was showing me a house in Westfield for $7 million dollars. And it was ginormous, had a tennis court, had a pool. And I'm just thinking, like, man, I, I wish I had that. I was lusting. I was envious that, man, I, I could just go in my backyard and play tennis if I wanted to. I, man, the, you see the beauty of the houses. And it, oftentimes we can become very jealous, right? And so the dilemma here is that he is backsliding in his Christian walk because of what he sees around him. The prosperity of the wicked is that sometimes it seems that God is just not being fair to us, right? That we're serving God, and we're coming to church, and we're giving to church, and we're doing A, B, and C, but we're not getting our return, right? So we're not getting what we think we should expect back from serving God. Here is what Asaph observed. Look at verse number 4. He says, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. So he thinks that the wicked seems to get away with their sin. And according to verse number four, he thinks that the wicked can just do as much wickedness or evil or sin as possible, and they're not going to be punished. That they get away with everything. And if you have kids and you, you've probably seen the, like your, your children fight and say, how do, how do they get away with so-and-so and I get punished for it? And everybody likes to play the victim role, right? Well, everybody else gets so much, but then there's me. And that's what Asaph is thinking here, man. Everybody gets away with everything. And here I am. I get nothing. Verse number five. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. So he's saying here that the wicked do not face any trouble. They don't face any troubles and the plagues that other men have to face. I was talking to a co-worker of mine and he told me, I don't know how we got on the topic, but he started talking to me about the fact that he said, you know, Ethan, if I just had, if I were to win the lottery, 
and I were to get a million dollars, I would retire today. And I would never work again. And I'll be at this, my friend who I work with, he's about 30 years old. So he says all he needs is a million dollars, and then he can retire because he'll live off, according to his mind, $50,000 a year. He has it all figured out, he thinks, right? And so I, I started to talk to him. He's like, you know, sometimes the people with the most amount of money are, not, are some of the least happiest people. The people who have the most toys, right, are some of the least happy people who cry because they're not satisfied. I'm trying to explain this to him. And he goes, Ethan, I have to disagree with you. I think the people who have the most are the happiest people. As they, they can portray to be that way, they can seem that way right on TV, but you don't know what's going on in their heart. You don't know all the damage that's happened in their life and their private life and their, and their home crumbling apart, the, the suicide rate that you see with Hollywood stars and actors and, and all the famous people that we know. We think of uh, famous singers and actors and um, ruining lives because of drugs and alcohol and overdosing, their marriage falling apart and scandal after scandal after scandal. Why? Because they portray to be very happy out in public but yet inside their home, everything is falling apart. And so we get to see a lot of that today because I think of the um, access to social media and having everything instantly and everybody having a camera. We get to see what a lot of these people really have to go through. So he is saying here that they don't face trouble, that the wicked don't face trouble. They don't face heartache. They don't face pain like other men face. Asaph is really going through it. And I think, and we'll get to you know, the end of Asaph here and how his heart changes, but I think sometimes that we've been in this same spot, right? Where we can think that when trials and troubles all happen, and they seem to never just hit at once, right? It seems like it's just a plethora of things hit us all at once, all at the same time, and it's really wearing us down. And then we... And then the devil starts working on our mind and makes us think these thoughts. And Asaph here, he's just writing everything down that he's thinking. Verse number 6. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a change. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. So now he's saying the wicked, despite their pride, their violence, they seem healthy, they seem well-fed, and they are in need of nothing. That is what he's saying. So they get away with everything. Verse number 8. They are corrupt and speak wickedly. Concerning oppression, they speak lawfully. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. So the wicked speak wickedly, lawfully, blasphemy, Yet their cup runs over with goods. So now he's just listing off their sins. And now he's just thinking about all the wrong that they do and that nothing's happening to them. And lastly, in verse number 11, he says, And they say, How doth God know? And their knowledge in the Most High, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. So he's saying the wicked even openly mock God, yet they prosper and they increase in their riches, although they blaspheme God. So it's a very difficult thing, right, to look at other people, to look at the ungodly, 
and to think that, man, they get away with it. And it, that can't become to challenge our faith. Just like what's happening to Asaph here, it can challenge our faith. And like I mentioned on Sunday morning, the devil loves to put thoughts into our hearts, into our minds. The devil likes to say, you know what? You've been given a bad deal serving God. You've been on the wrong side of things. You should just go back to the road. Remember Egypt? Remember the things that you had before and look what you have now? The devil loves to put these things in your heart and in your mind. So Asaph honestly was confused in everything that he was seeing around him. He was very confused. So you see here the dilemma, what's going on. You see the prosperity of the wicked. Thoroughly you see the, the persecution of the righteous. You know, it's one thing to see the wicked go unpunished. But then it's another thing to see the righteous suffer. Isn't that a tough thing sometimes when you see the righteous suffer? People who love God, people who serve God, go through trial. And we say to ourselves, why God? Why does that happen to brother so-and-so? Why does sister so-and-so have to go through that? Why God? I don't understand what is happening. And so again, this comparison shakes the faith of Asaph. Asaph be begins to wonder now, is he wasting his life? Am I wasting my life by serving God, by doing the right thing? It seems like he's saying the, doing, the, doing the right thing is not being rewarded. But instead, it's being punished. Look at verse number 13. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain, he says, and washed my hands in innocency, for all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. So Asaph is afraid to voice this. He doesn't want to cause the next generation to stumble. But he is still filled with confusion. And to think about this causes him great pain. Look at verse 15. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. So Asaph wants to quit. And he wants to speak about what he's writing down. Remember, this letter is in private. It's only to him. This isn't a letter to the church of Corinth or to Ephesus or whatever. This is a letter he's writing on his own. I'm sure some of our diaries... Look, look the same way. I'm sure there's times where we've had these same thoughts and these same moments, and we've kind of wrote these down ourselves. And Asaph says, I want to voice these things outside, out, out loud, but there's a generation behind me that if they see these things, they're going to quit serving God, and they're not going to live for God if I voice out my opinion. So he is in a place of confusion right now. I think you can kind of clearly see that. And who loves confusion is the devil. The devil loves to confuse you. God is not the author of confusion. The Bible, I mean, the God puts the Bible for us, right, to show, what's, to show us what is right and what is wrong. I think the reason why we have this letter written to us and how we can read this in 2023 is that God in his omniscience knew that we as Christians, that we would have this same thought. That we would have these same struggles. That this would challenge our faith as well. I think this is why God gave this to us. So Asaph begins to get an eternal 
perspective on what he is seeing and what he goes on and thinking about what is God's viewpoint on life. Look at verse 17. We read verses 1 through 16 and we see his heart, almost his depression, his confusion, his anger, his sadness. And then verse 17 pops up and he says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. So, what does that tell us here? The last one, um, we see here the perspective of the Almighty. And that first of all, is that our understanding of the trials that's going on is increased, according to the Bible here, by church attendance, by being in the house of God. What is something the devil loves to do to us when we're sad, when we're going through a struggle, whether it's depression or anger, whatever it is? The devil likes to say, you know what, you should not go to church tonight because you're not acting like a Christian. You're not, you haven't been what you should be for God, so you shouldn't go to church tonight. And that's kind of some of the silly things that the devil puts into our heart and puts into our mind. And we just say, you know what, yeah, that's probably true. I'm not, I don't have my best attitude right now. I don't look as happy as I should. I have some anger inside of me. I, I just shouldn't go to church. And that's what the devil wants to do. Why? Because he knows that being in the house of God, hearing the word of God, and being with the people of God is going to help us. It's going to encourage us. It's going to help us understand, like, like Asaph is saying here, understand the trials of life. And that's what the Bible does. That's what God's word does. And that's what the church does. That's why we have preaching. That's why... This isn't a worship band, the whole service, why we preach the word of God. Because we understand what we're going through by the preaching of God's word. Verse number 18 says, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. So because he went into the sanctuary, God shows Asaph that, they, that the supposed outward prosperity of the wicked is just a facade. They face judgments that we don't readily see, that we don't get to see every single day, that we don't, they don't publicly show it. Some of, them, some of the happiest people, sad to say, are some of the most miserable people. Some of the people who seem like their life's all put together, who are instructing other people to put their lives together, only to find out that their life is falling apart. That they are just putting on a facade. So you can't look at people at face value and say, well, their life is put together. You can't look at me and say, oh, Brother Ethan's life is put together. You can't even look at Pastor Matt and say, oh, Pastor Matt's life is put together. You don't know what somebody's going through. You don't know the struggle that people face every single day. And so we can try. We, I tell the teenagers, you've got to have heroes. You've got to have people you look up to, whether that's Pastor Matt or all the heroes of the faith. You know, and That's good. But ultimately, right, we're looking unto Jesus, and we're looking unto God to be the person that we're supposed to mimic, that we're supposed to be like. And so when we look at other people around us, don't fall under the false pretense that, man, everybody else is perfect. Everybody else has it good, and I got the wrong side. It's just a facade, nine times out of ten. Verse number 19, the Bible says, how are they brought into desolation as in a moment? 
they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Now, God often delays judgment because of his great patience that he has and the mercy that he has for the ungodly. But God can also change the situation in a moment's time if he chooses to, right? Sometimes we look at other people and say, how, do, how did this person get to live till they're 80, 90 years old and they're a wicked individual? Man, this person is a no good and maybe we can say whatever political party we want to and we just think about this person and say, how do they get to live forever? And how do they, man, they, they get blessed with everything. Well, you know what? Our God was merciful to you, right? Get offering you the free gift of salvation. God is still offering it to them. And God still loves them. They're still made in the image of God. And God cares for them. And God loves them. So we should never wish, right, for anybody, oh, I wish that person would just drop dead. That's a terrible attitude to have as a Christian. We need to be praying for their salvation because that's the reason why they're still here. That's the reason why God has allowed their time to have X amount of years more than maybe a brother or a sister in Christ who already has salvation. We think about people in history, right, who are great Christians of God and they loved God but their life was ended shortly or that was on the mission field or whether they were martyred for their faith. And their impact was given. That was the amount of years that God gave them. They used it to, to their fullest. And God, God is a good God no matter what, right? And if God decides to take us home early, God takes us home early. If God decides to extend our life, God extends our life. God is good no matter what. And God extends people's lives because why? He loves them. And he cares for them and wants to give them salvation, right? So, we see here the presence of the Almighty. So we become envious when we judge the happiness and the blessings of others based on their materialistic um, accumulations, things that they've got in their life. A man can have many, many riches, but yet never have what you and I have, which is the peace that passes all the understanding, which is the joy unspeakable, and that is the inner peace, the inner joy. And most of all, what a lot of people struggle with is contentment. No one's ever content. Why? Because they got to have more. they got to have the latest. They can be content for such a short amount of time, and then the newest thing comes out. Well, Christian, for you and I, right, if we have Jesus, what else could we want? We have everything with Jesus Christ. We have the person who is full of riches, who is full of glory, who is full of blessings, and is full of mercy and grace. And if I have Jesus, I am in want of nothing. I have everything I need in Jesus Christ. Amen. So Asaph became pricked in his heart when he finally realized that he had the one thing they did not. Asaph had God. Asaph had God. He had God's presence, support, Guidance, and one day he's going to have a home with God in heaven. And so the wicked had none of this. Let's look at verse 21 real quickly. It says, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reign. So foolish was I, and ignorant. I was a beast before thee. 
And nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. Man, David's really preaching here. Is he? Asaph's really preaching here, is he not? Man, he's, God has had to do a work in his heart. You know, it, it is, it's a common emotion that God has put within all of us, and that's the emotion of sadness. And that's the moment of going through this great trial in his life. But there needs to be a time of realization that, man, God is still good. I think if you find yourself in a time of weakness, a time of questioning God, questioning his motives, I would strongly encourage you to get down a pen and piece of paper and just write all your blessings and and still feel if you're in want afterwards just write down the blessings of god that he's given you i think that would change our mindset and do a complete 360 when we look at man, all the blessings god has given us but you know sometimes when christian we can just forget them that we kind of put them on the back burner i mean how, how often do we go from point a to point b without even praising god for the safety that he has given us how many times do we get through each day and we just forget to thank God for what he's given us today? The fact that you have a job or a family, whatever it is. Thank God for those things. And so there's the presence of the Almighty that he's feeling in his heart now. And so the dilemma is solved. We found out the dilemma at the beginning of the chapter. And now this dilemma in his life is being solved. Why? Because he has eternal view upon his life instead of a temporal view. You got to look at things eternally, Christian. And so there are eternal rewards for the righteous. And we're going to be in heaven a much longer time than we are going to be on earth. We don't have to be a fact. So we got to look unto heaven. Look at the eternal. And unfortunately and sadly, right, there is eternal judgment for the wicked if they don't turn to God. Verse 27 says... For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. So we can think about what all the things that they have here. All of the, the blessing, all the material um, accumulations that they've gathered in their life. But think about it. They only are going to have those for such amount of time. You can't bring those toys, those possessions, that land, that money with you. Naked come I into this world, and naked will you leave, the Bible talks about. You can't carry those things with you. So what we do for heaven is much more important than what we do on earth. And building up the biggest name for ourselves on earth. We're trying to build a name in heaven. We're trying to see many more people in heaven because of the influence we had on them than what we are about building our own little kingdom for the short amount of time we have here on earth. So he looks at them and says, they're going to perish. So what should that tell us? Is that we shouldn't be envious. We shouldn't be angry at the wicked. But you know what we should be? We should be broken for, the, for those who are like that. We should be, our hearts should hurt for them. Our hearts should be sad for them. Why? Because they don't have what you and I have. That's the hope of eternal life. The fact that we get to spend eternity in heaven. 
So that should be something that challenges us, right? To say, you know what, I want to pray for them. I want to reach them with the gospel. I want to show the love of Christ to them. I want them to look unto Jesus. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12 and we'll end with this. Hebrews chapter 12. So Christian, the point of tonight's service is don't look at others around you and become envious of what they have. Don't look at things, uh, the things of earth that become jealous and say, I want to give up God for more things on earth. I want to sacrifice my time with the Lord to earn more money. I want to sacrifice my family for more possessions. Look at the eternal things of life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And here's what we have to do. Looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we are to let God take care of the wicked. God would do what he's got to do with the wicked. He is a righteous judge. And he will one day bring balance to the scales, even though right now it may seem like, hey, we're on the losing side. But we know how the story ends, right? We've read the book. We have the last chapter of the Bible. We know what's going to happen to Satan and the demons and everybody who doesn't accept Jesus Christ. And so we have to be looking unto Jesus. Keep him as the main thing that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus. Nothing else. Don't look to side to side. Don't look at other people's race. Don't look at other Christians and wish you were as far ahead of the race as they are. Look at yourself. Looking at Jesus. You're running at your own pace. Look unto Jesus and nothing but him. There's going to be a lot of things that the devil is going to want to put in your life around you to distract you, to make you detour, to ruin and waste time in your life. The devil wants to do that. That's his goal and that's his objective. But the Bible says for us to pity, to be sad, to pray for those who are without Christ, and for us to look unto Jesus, to raise our families to live for God, that we would have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that we would not give up on the things of God. Now, we want to put the things of this world and the, and the materialistic things above God. I'll put Jesus first, and everything will fall into place. He is a good God, and he is worth serving. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you, Lord. And Lord, I know oftentimes we can become discouraged and we can become disheartened by what we don't have. But Lord, I thank you for what we do have, and that is salvation through you the blessings that you have given to us, Lord, very undeservedly, Lord. I don't deserve what you've given me. Lord, you have been so good to me, Father. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to not look at the others, to what others may have, what other churches are blessed with. Lord, I pray Lord, that we would just look at ourselves looking at you. And we would put you first in all things. We love you. Peace on in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's take an offering tonight for the work of the Lord.